On today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has the first reactions out now, and they're calling it the best Spider-Man movie ever. We've seen The Little Mermaid. We're going to review that here today as well. A new report has come out giving us the top 10 streaming shows out this weekend. The results may surprise you. Disney and Comcast are trying to come to an agreed-upon sale price for Hulu, but according to reports, they are tens of billions of dollars apart from each other. James Cameron says he's writing a brand new Terminator film. Halle Berry has put up some pictures online that have got a lot of people thinking she's coming back as Storm in Deadpool 3. That and a bunch more. The John Campion Show starts right now. And salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie-Related Show on the Planet Earth, the John Campia Show podcast, coming to you from right here in our little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I'm, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but giving you information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. Uh, joining me in studio, we've got Ray Aura. Hey. Jonathan Voikos here. Hello. It is uh, Thursday, so the delightful Chris Carr is here. Hey, y'all. And most importantly, you guys are here. Thank you for taking time to check out our podcast today. And here's how our podcast goes. We're going to talk about first in the first part of the show, those predetermined topics that I mentioned. And then in the second part of the show, we're going to take questions from our audience. And the way we take questions is we have channel members on our YouTube channel. And right before we started this show, we put up a post in our community tab asking our beloved channel members if they had any questions. And we're going to read a bunch of those, as many as we can, before we end off the show today. All right. With all that down, guys, uh, let's jump into it with this. So we'll lead off with this. We did a video about this uh, a little bit earlier this morning on the YouTube channel at any rate, but Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. The first reactions are now here. They're out, and they are outstanding, saying the film is darker and sadder than a lot of people thought it would be, saying that the movie is a complete work of art, and one high-profile outlet, even saying it's their favorite movie ever. I, I love this one. Uh, this one is from one of my favorite movie websites out there, Cinema Blend. I've been reading them for many years. Anyway, their managing editor, Sean O'Connell, put out a tweet where he said this, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse lives one step above Masterpiece. I didn't know there were steps above masterpieces. It's an actual work of art. Every frame deserves to be hung in a museum. The jokes and nods to the Spidey lore are perfect. It's outstanding. The best Spider-Man movie might be my favorite movie ever. Cherish it, which, which is a lot. Now, look, if you guys have listened or watched any of my shows for, you know, at least going back to 2018, you know I love Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I think it's the best Spider-Man movie ever made. I think it's one of the greatest comic book movies ever made, which is funny because from 2017 to 2018, I said this movie was going to suck. I didn't like the idea of it. I saw some of the artwork. I didn't think I liked the art style. So much about it I didn't like. And then I saw the movie. And this is why you leave your baggage at the door when you go in to see a movie. Leave your expectations somewhere else when you go in to see a movie. Because I ended up finding it to be one of the best pleasant surprises I've ever had in a movie theater going experience. Uh, and it's great hearing these types of reactions. So, I mean, Chris, we were talking about this earlier today about the reactions coming out. One of the questions I have, though, is how much will this move the needle on it financially? 
Because while the first movie had a 97% critic rating, a 93% audience rating, it only managed to pull in about $384 million. Now, that, that's not bad, but in today's blockbuster era, you think of a Spider-Man movie, you'd think it might be higher than that. I think it's because a lot of people looked at it the way I did that it didn't look very good. At least I didn't think it did. Maybe they thought the same way as me and they didn't go see it. Do you think with the fact that it went on to win the Academy Award for Best Animated Film, with the fact that we're getting these rave early reactions now, with the fact that we got all this positive pop coming out of the two, you know, uh, cinema cons in a row, do you think these reactions could actually positively affect the box? Can this movie make more money than the last one did? What do you think? Hell yeah, it can. Absolutely. This movie found its stride on streaming. Maybe people didn't flock to theaters, but they sure gave it a chance once it got onto those streaming platforms. And people flocked to this movie. They flocked to the soundtrack. They loved it. It is so well-reviewed, well-revered. And yeah, Sony is the king of Spider-Man movies right now, right? Honestly, too, I would throw that PlayStation game up in there as well. I think that's the best Spider-Man story we've had, followed by Spider-Verse. So Sony's crushing these things. And this looks so promising. Everyone seems to love the animation, which you and I already know that this is a beautiful, beautiful film from what we've seen. And it really, really does pull at your heartstrings. What I love about this movie and what I think is going to be a very, very through, big through line from what we've seen is we're going to talk about more of that kind of idea of Parker luck. Right. If you're familiar with the comics, Peter Parker always talks about, oh, it's the Parker luck. Anything I do with Spider-Man is going to negatively affect my uh, civilian life. I, anything I do is going to do this. We have all these various spider people who it's all it's all the spider person luck. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't save everyone if you're focusing on saving one person. That seems like to be a big thrust of this film. And the way that it's explored and its way that it seems to be hitting audiences, given these first reactions, is so, so exciting to me. Because this movie, once again, like I said earlier, it proves that animation isn't just some genre. It's a medium. It's a medium for beautiful storytelling. And even though we associate Spider-Man with quips and, you know hanging out as a teenager and things like that. Spider-Man's life is steeped in tragedy. So for this to be a darker, more melancholy film, I think is right on the money for the source material. And I think a lot of people are really, really going to gravitate towards this film. What about you guys? Yeah, you guys, like any sort of sense about how much money, like are you hearing people talking about this movie? Are you hearing people saying they're going to be rushing out to it? I mean, the tickets are now on sale. And Jonathan, you were mentioning earlier because you took a look on the ticket sales websites, and it still looks like the theaters are empty, uh, given. So I don't know, how how do you think this movie's going to do financially? Well, I would have thought it was going to do great. Now I'm not so sure. Um, yeah, I, I've been looking at, not just in my area, but Inland Empire as well, all around opening weekend, and there's a substantial amount of tickets not sold. So it, it doesn't seem like people are rushing. I mean, it, it, that doesn't mean that <clears throat> people... Uh, you know, won't get to it eventually, or maybe word of mouth will carry it. We've seen movies with small openings and then suddenly word of mouth took it to like 700 million worldwide. So, but right now I'm a little like, huh, this is kind of strange. Well, here, That's let me ask you this. Did you know tickets were on sale for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse before you came into the studio this morning? Uh, no. Okay, so it's when I mentioned it to you, because I think there's probably a lot of people that don't even know the tickets are on sale because they didn't do a big 
announcement of Across the Spider-Verse, tickets on sale now. I think a lot of people have no idea the tickets are out now. Ooh, my neck of the woods, it is very different in really? the in the Valley. Because we when we first were talking about how tickets were on sale <laughs> when we were still a live show, I bought my tickets live on air because I went, right. oh I shit, that. I got to get those. And I got the last two tickets in my theater for, for not even a, you know, evening screening for just something that's kind of afternoonish. And when I go look at my theater, it's packed. So if you are in, you know, the San Fernando Valley, it could be go get opened, those tickets. It could be they opened up new tickets. That that's at. true. So that's very true as well. That, to be fair, uh, I kind of had this tracking like 450 to 500 worldwide. Mm. So at the end of the day, yeah, yeah, mean, yeah. Like all said. yeah, I mean, if it can come in and make like one, two, 300 million more than the first one did. I mean, it's interesting because it's coming out in a context right now where the biggest movie in the world this year is an animated film. Uh, Mario is still the number one film of the year. I think it's still, Ray, you might want to look this up. I think it's still holding at 1.2 billion. So just see what the worldwide number is on, on Mario. But maybe it's possible it comes out. I mean, we saw some pretty aggressive early tracking saying that it could make upwards of like 120 million opening weekend. I I would love for that to happen. I just don't see it having that kind of popularity right 1. now. It's at 1.2. It is at 1.2. So, I mean, some people think the top two, listen, if this thing can explode, then we're going to be in a situation where the two biggest films of the year are going to be animated films. Hell yes. So we'll see how that goes. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to this, shall we? Little Mermaid had, uh, it's officially opening today. Well, technically speaking, the official opening is tomorrow, but when the fi- the movie always opens the day before the official opening. So it's coming out today. It's playing across theaters across the country. Um, there were some early fan screenings last night, of which I went to one, and Chris, I think Chris Carr went to one as mm-hmm. well. And I put up my early out-of-the-theater reaction to Little Mermaid last night. Now, unfortunately... Uh, there are a lot of people with political agendas who tried to make the story of Little Mermaid coming out about the fact that the actress they cast to play a fictitious, mythical, non-real creature, a mermaid, mermaids aren't real, has slightly darker skin tone than they may have themselves. And they, again, a lot of people with agendas who try to make that the story. So I walked in to watch the movie last night. And look, for me, Disney live action adaptations are, to put it kindly, hit and miss. They have a couple that are really good. They really do. They have some that I enjoy very much. And then they have some that that is not so much the case. So to put it kindly, they are hit and miss with their live action thing. So I went to watch this movie last night and Anne went to go see me. Anne, who loves... Little Mermaid, and actually said uh, her, I think she, the word she used, mine and a lot of girls my age, first sexual awakening was King Trident without his shirt. Really? I'm like, I'm like, and I said that, that's the exact words I said to her, Chris. I said, really? King Triton did it. Yeah, King Triton did it for them. Because I guess, um, you know, I pulled up an image after that when I got home. It's like, he's pretty fit. I mean, I get it now, but as a child, I wasn't like, mmm, daddy. Yeah. Uh, things I don't Want to know. <laughs> Let's talk more about your sister's sexual awakening. <laughs> do you want to do more of that? <laughs> Chris is torturing Ray right now. But I mean, I was like, okay, sure. Look, I want to go see the movie. Here are my thoughts. And I, and I shared a lot of these on my out of the theater reaction last night. But you know what? It's a delightful little movie. I, I do not think it is the best 
of the uh, Disney live action animation or live live action adaptations. I think there are a couple I would put ahead of it. But at the end of the day, this was a charming, um, really entertaining little film. And listen, I heard a lot of people, you've probably seen all the reactions that were out of the early screenings of it, that, oh, this Halle Bailey is a superstar. Halle Bailey is a superstar. This girl's for real. And I have had no experience. Like, I remember we were at CinemaCon and they announced that this upcoming Color Purple movie that's coming out around Christmas time, that she's in that as well. It's like, wow, she must impress some people. And then I saw her in this movie. She's a superstar. And Melissa McCarthy, we suspected she was going to be really good in it because we saw at CinemaCon her do the Poor Unfortunate Souls. She's wonderful. She's phenomenal. Wonderful in this movie. And I believe uh, Harry Styles was supposed to play Prince Eric. I think Harry Styles was originally cast to play Prince Eric. I do not know who this kid is that they got to play Prince Eric, but he was great. He was really good. One of the scene stealers for me was Aquafina as the bird. A scuttle, yes! A scuttle. I... I was really floored. Like, I'll be honest with you. I said to Anne as we were driving there, I like Aquafina. I do. I'm kind of getting tired of every animated film feeling like they have to have Aquafina in it. But damn, I'm glad she's in this one. Uh, and um, what is it? David Diggs, who did mm-hmm. The Voice of Sebastian. Yes. So good. Um, Anton Chigur as uh, King Trident. Um, Javier Bardem. Javier Bardem. As, why do I remember the name of his character from a 12-year-old movie? Anyway. <laughs> But not Javier Javier. Bardem as King Trident, I thought was great. The interactions, particularly, I love the interactions between King Trident and Sebastian. Um, It's not perfect. The movie did not need to be this long because I think it also clocks in at around two hours and 15 minutes, which makes it about a half hour longer than the original animated Little Mermaid was. And there are times I felt the length. There are a few scenes that didn't need to be there. There are a few things they could have gone through quicker. Um, but yeah, just in general, a really charming look in the wins and losses columns for Disney live action animations. This one goes in the win column. Absolutely. Uh, I, I thought it worked. Chris, you saw the film. I know you are a Little Mermaid fan. I am. What did you think? I liked it for different reasons than Anne, but I love that movie. (laughs) I thought this was really, really well done. And I went into this too. Y'all know I wasn't sure about a lot of the visuals and things in this. And I loved it. I also saw this in 4DX, which I usually hate. But Logan's Logan's on the mend and he wanted to see it that way. And I had a great time. He did not. He did not like this in 4DX. (laughs) Uh, It wasn't. Ray and Anne's older sister didn't like, doesn't like 4DX. I usually hate it. This was so soothing. It was just, it was like being on like the, the DreamWorks theater ride. It was great. Let me ask you this about 40X. Just as a, does it feel like you're watching a movie, but like the theater is just kind of doing its own thing? Or does it actually oh. make you feel like you're on like sort of a ride where it really matches the movie? It's sometimes one, sometimes the other. Okay. And that's my issue. This made sense to me of just, oh, I'm just kind of floating in the ocean right now. Oh my gosh, there's a shipwreck. Ah. But the movie itself is really, really well done, I think. You know, certain characters, their lines are verbatim from the original animated film, but characters like David Diggs make it their own. He does such a great job with this. Halle Bailey's voice, every time she sings, I thought I was going to burst into tears because her voice is so amazing and powerful. She is so incredible. Prince Eric, who is Jonah Howard King, he's newer on the scene. I think the biggest thing he's done up until now is a Little Women series. He's phenomenal in this. He's wonderful. I liked him a lot. His his chemistry with Haley was... Was really so good. Cool. And to people, too, who have said, well, this doesn't really add anything to the original animated film. 
I don't know what you saw. We now have these shared values between Eric and Ariel. We have so much more of the world building there. We took away some of the fluff and we took away some of those songs. There are things that are shoehorned in that I'm not crazy about. Um, the Sea Witch's uh, spell has a new stipulation added to it that I think is very unnecessary. Um, and I also personally for me, Ariel and Triton's relationship didn't sing the same way it does in the animated film. In the animated film, you know far and away that the baby is his favorite because she's the one who reminds him the most of his his wife and everything. Right. And in this one, there's a much more strained, more king to subject relationship, in my opinion. Um, you definitely see those notes of love and caring and compassion, but I feel like that's something that's missing you know in this. Why I liked that though. Why? I'll tell you why I like that. And I say this to somebody who's not a big fan of the original animated one. The reason I like that is because it makes the conclusion for me, it made it more emotional for sure there. Cause like, like Triton himself has a breakthrough. I know? can see and, that. And you, for me, you felt the breakthrough a little bit more because of the little bit more that one way it leaned in the first part of the film, as you were saying, but that's why for me, like, but I think Anne felt the same way yeah. you did about it. Also the, the big um, climax of the film. I do think the animated film does a, a better job of that as well, but I leave that to you guys. Once you see that to let me know how you I feel about this, it. So the big, the big climactic ending of the film yeah. looked really good. It did look great. Visually, it looked it looked pretty damn good. I, yeah, again, now I gotta. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. Some of the responses to my out of the theater reaction were as predictable as the sun rising. That's so disappointing. I, you know, it it, it really is. Um, and 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 I I gotta say this because I don't know. It used to be when you were a racist piece of shit, you kind of hit it a little bit. You, you tried not to let it be seen. But for some reason, we live in a, in a climate and a culture now where being a racist piece of shit, people just flaunt it. Like, it, it, it's just crazy to me. It's like, I'm reading through some reactions and a lot of reactions saying, really? Oh, you're like, okay, I just don't think I'm going to check it out. It doesn't really look like it's a movie for me, which is totally fine. That's totally fair. That's per, totally fair. Some people saying, oh, good. I'm glad you liked it. I'm looking forward to seeing it and all this type of stuff. But- what you get, because last night was an early screening, you know, a lot of these people who, you know, haven't seen the movie, says, you're lying. This is shit. Why does Disney continue to attack white people? And it's like, like, what? And it's like, I'll watch it when they stop this, this, uh, whatever diversity agenda. But I'm like, what? And just the amount of that stuff. So look, I, every couple of years, I feel like I need to say this, Let let me just say this here. Now, look, if you're Little Mermaid is a movie. That means it's subjective. That means there's going to be some people who like it and some people who don't. And that's totally fair. There's going to be people who go watch this movie and come out and say, ah, you know what? You know, I didn't buy the chemistry and I didn't buy the performances and I thought the story was kind of weak and blah, blah, blah. And and that's all completely fair. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But then you get the racist pieces of shit. And let me just say this here. Please, if you are somebody who uses the word woke in your daily vocabulary, or if you are somebody who the fact that the skin tone of this mythological non-existent creature that lives under the sea bothers you for fuck's sakes, do not listen to my show, please. I, I am begging for a purge of subscribers. Stop listening to my show. I don't want you here. You are a piece of shit. So just go away, Bye. find your fellow pieces of shit 
who will say in your little echo chambers, who will just keep saying the word woke that gets your erection harder every time and you can beat off to it if you want. Well, it's a micropenis. Please, yeah, most likely micropenis. Don't come to my, I don't need you here. Please go away. Um, it's just, you are a garbage person and I don't want you here. So please leave. Anyway, I just thought I should uh, should say that. Nice little PSA there. Yay. And, and by the way, don't let me saying that make you feel like you have to like this movie. Uh, if you watch this movie and you don't think the songs are good and you don't think the acting's good and you don't think the story is good, by all means, don't like the film. Movies are subjective. We're going to like and not like them. But if any of your basis for not liking a film is because you have a problem with the pigmentation tone of a mythological undersea creature's skin... You need fucking help. Go away. Anyway, uh, there. I'm glad I was able to get Yay. that out of the way. So let's now move on to some uh, business stuff here, shall we? Let's go on and talk about this. One of the big things going on right now, not a ton of fans are talking about it. But believe me, this is one of the big topics of conversation in business and boardrooms in Hollywood right now. Is there's an upcoming deadline for Hulu? Now, as some of you know, Hulu is not entirely owned by Disney right now. Disney owns 75% of Hulu or six. I can't remember. No, no. It's 66% of yes. Hulu. Two thirds of Hulu. The other third or roughly 33% is owned by Universal's parent company, Comcast. Now, this is an arrangement that neither Disney nor Comcast ever intended to be permanent. So they put into place an agreement that come January of 2024, one of them has to buy out the other. The first option is for Comcast to trigger a sale and forcing Disney to buy their one-third, or a negotiation could happen where it goes the other way and Comcast buys out Disney's two-thirds. But Disney's got first option in buying, and Comcast has first option in making Disney buy them. The problem is, with that January date coming up now, they can't seem to agree on a price. Now, the absolute minimum of their agreed price is going to be $29 billion. That's going to be the minimum that Disney will have to evaluate the worth of Hulu on when they buy out Comcast's remaining one-third ownership. But they still have to come to an agreement. That's just the, the bottom line. That's the basement level. Well, according to a report in The Wrap now, Disney and Comcast has already begun their negotiations, and apparently they're not like $100 apart, or $1,000, or $100,000, or a million, or a billion. Apparently, in their negotiations, they are tens of billions of dollars separated in what they think the value of Hulu is right now. This comes just from the rapper who writes this. Each company will do an assessment of Hulu's value again early next year, the journal reported. If they remain wide apart, an independent third party will be brought in to make a determination. People familiar with the matter told the journal. Meanwhile, as the disagreements continue, Comcast has stopped funding Hulu. The journal reported, citing uh, people familiar with Hulu's finances, the report said Disney provided the equivalent of a bridge loan to keep the streamer in cash flow. So, while they're completely disagreeing on the value of Hulu, in which Disney then has to pay out Comcast, Comcast is saying, you know what, we're not going to put up any more money for Hulu. So this is now, well, well, this is not a big deal, honestly. What will probably now happen is Disney will take over Comcast's funding responsibilities and that, pardon me, whatever amount they end up agreeing on, 
Disney will subtract that money that they had to put up to cover Comcast's share over the next few months. So that's probably not a big deal here. But the bigger part is how many billions of dollars is Disney going to have to pay Comcast in order to get Hulu lock, stock, and barrel? Because Disney clearly plans on Hulu merging into Disney+. Plus. They've already started the process. They're already starting to move some stuff over. That's their plan. So Comcast has them at sword tip a little bit here. Mm -hmm. Comcast has the upper hand. So I know, Chris, you read about this. Do you think they're going to be able to come to an agreement? Do you think it's they're going to stay far apart and a third-party mediator is going to have to come and give a ruling? What do you think about this? Well, according to the Wall Street Journal, they're already in secret arbitration. There's a lot going on here. I mean, just this title alone, you guys. (laughs) Inside Disney and Comcast fight over the future of Hulu. Parent companies are in final phase of battle marked by legal threats, broken promises, and secret arbitration. How do you not click that? Come on. Session. Wall Street Journal, hello. Now, obviously, both sides want to strike an accord here, but they do need to come to terms on what that value is. It has been established that Hulu can be valued no lower than that $27.5 billion mark. However, they are having other people assess everything to see what the true value of this is. And to your point, that's where all the discrepancies lie. But Comcast CEO Brian Roberts thinks that he's got a really, really great case here for getting more money, basically, because he's talking about how any major media company could auction on this right now, could buy their third, right? And he says, quote, the job is then to give us one third of that value. So I think we're in a very valuable position. So right now, Comcast, and rightly so, is looking for that highest bidder. So they definitely are looking into assessing all of the value Hulu can uh, accumulate, but then taking that kind of perceived value. And it makes sense too. Why would you sell something at sticker price, right? We all know this that on Disney's end, you don't want to sell at sticker price. You want to sell more or possibly a higher than that, get more money for yourself. But if you're the person who is buying, you don't want to take that sticker price. You want to negotiate. You want to get a lower deal typically. So there's a whole bunch at stake here. It's just interesting, once again, to not have all of the actual numbers, but to see how heated this is getting between something that seemed like was going to be a pretty amicable, easy sale has gotten really, really contentious. Well, like you said, with Comcast now recognizing we can get billions more out of especially if they can get if they can get a legitimate statement saying that hey some other party is willing to value it and pay us for this now disney of course they have the key here they they have first right to do this this is strictly a deal between comcast exactly but if they can come back with that it's going to go a long way anyway it's going to be interesting to see just how many billions of dollars big papa Iger is going to have to put up for this thing all right Hey guys, with that out of the way, let's now move on to a Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. If you guys have a question you'd like us to talk about on the show here, give our hotline a call anytime, 24-7 at 951-268-4259. And every day we'll pick one or two questions to address. And this one has to do with something we've talked about a little bit before, but with a twist about how much ad lib work can Ryan Reynolds actually do in Deadpool 3? Check it out. Hi, Johnny Crew. This is Dante out of Cincinnati. So my question is regarding Ryan Reynolds and the filming of Deadpool 3. So Ryan Reynolds is a writer, and with the WGA strike happening now, how do you think that this can affect his spontaneous hilarity with improving 
on set. I know that he can't do this as a writer with the WGA. So how much do you think this could affect the film? Will we notice it? I know that it probably won't get noticed as everything is already written, but we're going to miss out on some really funny improv, I believe. And sometimes those can be like gold moments in a movie. I'm just wondering your thoughts on this and uh, how this could uh, affect the film or if it will. Thank you and bring on the filthy. All right, Dante, thanks a lot for calling that in. And, you know, we, we talked a few weeks ago about this kind of specific circumstance about the fact that Ryan Reynolds is a member of the WGA. That means he is on strike as a writer. And yes, in as a writer in the WGA, improv line creation on set of a movie would be considered doing writing work if it ends up in the film. That's doing writing work, and so he cannot do it. Now, that's fine because, as Dante pointed out, the script's already written. They had the script locked. It's ready to go. But, but part of what makes Ryan Reynolds Ryan Reynolds is his spontaneous ad-libbing, right? So how much is that going to affect Deadpool? Now, we did talk about that before, and we said, yeah, it's a bit of a conundrum, but I then read an article that brings up an interesting new angle to this, which is this. Look, the WGA can't stop you from just being spontaneous, right? What's at stake here, the, the article I read uh, said, is that you can't take some spontaneous di- like yakking and talking on set and then put that in your movie. But they said, here's the loophole that is a legit loophole and wouldn't be like considered to be one of these sneaky things. Theoretically speaking, and Chris, as one of the actual union members, I want Mm -hmm. your thoughts on this, but it suggested that according to the letter of the law here, that while on set, Ryan Reynolds could do some ad-libbing, but that can't go in the movie. But... The actual post-production on this movie is not going to take place for probably six months from now in a place and a time when probably the strikes will be over. I mean, because one way, I mean, look, because the strikes can only go so long. All parties involved can, I don't care if the studio side, the writer side, whatever, all sides involved can only survive so long with a strike in place. So at some point it's going to be over. We don't know how long. But once that strike is over, If they said, oh, look, here's footage of when we were on set and Ryan gave some kind of ad lib line. It wasn't in the edit before, but we can put it in now. And then they talked to somebody who was in the WGA and said, technically speaking, you could do that. Now, I don't know if that would make people look badly on Ryan or not, but it's to say that before I didn't think there was any way for any Ryan Reynolds ad lib skills to make it into the film. But perhaps there is. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, the risk is he does some gold ad lib. And by the time they're actually assembling, putting together the edit of the movie, the strikes are still on and they can't use it. But I don't know. As a union member yourself, Chris, Mm -hmm. what do you think about the technicality of of this loophole per se? And as a union member, how do you think other union members would look at that? Would it be seen as, no, that's totally fair? Or would it be seen as, that's kind of sneaky and underhanded. I don't know. How would people look at that, do you think, in the unions? It's a very interesting loophole and one where you have to be really, really having that script supervisor of yours taking notes throughout. And that is a role that usually also goes to a WGA member. So you're going to have some production assistant on set marking. That one was an ad lib. Make note that that was an ad lib. We can't use right. that in the final production. 
Now, I don't think any other union members would truly have an issue with this. Should everything end up where the strike is over and then, hey, we're going to use one of those takes. I don't think that anyone would feel really strongly about that because improvisation is something typically off the dome and etc. Well, a lot of writers do do that on set for you. Hey, let me come up with another line real quick. Let me do this. I don't think anyone personally, in my opinion, would have a huge issue with that. Another workaround here, too, is Deadpool's constantly masked up. When you're doing post-production, should the strike be over, Ryan can do all the ADR improv he wants. Mm. So he can be constantly dubbing over himself. And it's something we know that happens, too, with these films of, oh, we need to get a clearer take of this line. Ooh, actually, that's way funnier, Ryan. Let's go with that. So another option they have is later on down the road, it can be a, hey, why don't you just go buck wild and say whatever weird nonsense you want to for this moment? Because we've got 20 solid seconds on your face where you're not really doing any kind of physicality mm, that right. makes it seem like you're saying one specific thing. So there are a lot of loopholes here. We also have to remember that the other actors who are not WGA members can improvise around Ryan. So Hugh Jackman can say whatever he wants. You know, Negasonic, Yukio can have their own banter and everything. And while so much of Deadpool is that Ryan Reynolds off the cuff humor, I think having all of these players, particularly people that he loves playing with, right? He absolutely has a great, hilarious relationship with Hugh Jackman. I think Hugh Jackman can probably, if the writer's strike is still going on, have some real great fried gold moments with Reynolds and at his expense, which is the best kind of thing to see in this movie. Now, of course, all this is contingent on the actors not also going on strike. Exactly, because our negotiations are happening right now. Because they are now shooting, they've started shooting Deadpool 3. They just started. And if the actors now go on strike, guess what? That movie shuts down. Yep. So the question of ad-libbing kind of becomes moot until the whole thing gets fixed up here. Exactly. And it it bears repeating because y'all keep asking in the comments, why does Chris want to go on strike? Why do actors want to go on strike? None of us want to go on strike. No one wants to go on strike. It is a response to negotiations not being met. All right. So if demands are not met, not even compromised on, like we've seen with the Writers Guild, that's when everybody strikes you guys. Everyone wants to be working. Actors love working. Bored actors are a nightmare. (laughs) We want to be on set. Don't leash us out on Los Angeles. Oh, my gosh. I mean, because look, and I listen, this is the world of business. If you could get, if you're a producer and you get actors to work for $5 an hour, you would make them work for $5 an hour. The only thing that's stopping the studios from making actors or writers or directors for working for $5 an hour is the fact that they have unions that force them to not do that. And so you got to make sure you're taking care of your people. All my right. first commercial, I got paid in matzo ball soup and it ran for eight years. God, listen, I, <laughs> I found out Aaron Cummings told me what she got paid for Spartacus and she had to fly to New Zealand yep. to be in that show. And I'm not going to, obviously reveal what that amount was. But when she told me what she was getting paid for Spartacus, it's like the actors union needs to go on strike. Yep. (laughs) The math don't math. Uh, All right. Hey guys, that down. let's do one more thing here. Shall we, before we uh, move on to take questions from our audience, this one is interesting. Speaking of Deadpool three, when you go back and look at those original X-Men movies, X-Men one, X-Men two, uh, Halle Bailey, of, uh, I keep, now I'm getting their names mixed up. <laughs> Halle Berry, Academy Award winning actress Halle Berry, of course, played Storm, who muttered the greatest line in cinematic history. <laughs> I know what happens to a toad when it gets hit by lightning. 
Same, Same thing, thing that happens, happens to everything, to everything else. else. Greatest line ever. Oh. She should be giving an honorary writing Oscar just for that. Made the head of the WGA. Well, she had a very distinct hairstyle in a couple of those X-Men films. And here's what's interesting. Now, keep in mind, Deadpool 3 has just started, just started shooting. Halle Berry just put up a social media picture of herself that just said, patience takes practice. That's all it says. But that's not the interesting thing. The interesting thing is she is clearly rocking her storm haircut and color. Now, that is not an automatic thing. Maybe she just likes the hairstyle. And she, you know, decided to change it up. But it does look hauntingly like the Storm hairstyle and cut that she rocked in one or two of the movies. So with that being paired with the point that Deadpool 3 has just started shooting, there's understandably a lot of chatter going around right now that on top of Hugh Jackman, and we believe Sir Patrick Stewart, that maybe Halle Berry is coming back in for Deadpool 3 uh, to per- to be Aurora again. She's going to play Storm again. Uh, Ray, I got a feeling you're looking at the pictures right now. Yeah. <laughs> what? Well, like, well, it, it, is it? It's it's uncanny, right? Like, it does look pretty damn similar. Just going to say, she looks good in that haircut. So she does look good. I'm in that not going to say anything else. I don't see any other thing in there. I just she can pull off that look really well. I I, I have no. You don't other think it looks like her Storm? You don't think she's looking like Storm right there? I think she's just looking real good. That's it. That's <laughs> I mean, it. I, I'm sorry. I can't speculate anymore. I mean, it would be cool if she came back at Storm, but I'm not going to go that far that yet. Not yet. Chris, you saw, I assume you're looking at the pictures right I now. I am, yeah. I love this one comment on Instagram where it's, I see what you did there. Patience Phillips, aka Catwoman. You're holding a cat. Catwoman confirmed. <laughs> so I Catwoman love sequel. I love all the speculation happening here. It definitely is the hair, and the comments here are very much in that same line, too, with people just throwing up all the Storm X-Men gifts they can. I could see it. That'd be a really fun cameo. That'd be really, really fun. I'd enjoy it. I want to throw this up there too. A, a while ago, they did this online sketch where basically it was like during the end of the, it was near the tail end of the pandemic, right? And they did, it was all fake. It was a fake X-Men reunion Zoom call. And you had like, <laughs> you had Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman and Halle Berry and I think Famke Jansen mm-hmm. and maybe one other person. And they're talking about, oh, what a great honor it was to work with you, Sir Pat, blah, like all this stuff. And then all of a sudden you hear, bleep, bleep, like another, some, someone's coming in <laughs> and Ryan Reynolds comes in. Hey guys, am I late? And they're like Hugh Jackman, uh, Ryan, this is for X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. Deadpool's an X-Man. And it just got all awkward. Now I'm, I'm just saying Halle Berry participated in that, so they were clearly all talking. Look, is this tinfoil hat kind of stuff? Yeah, maybe. But I'm just saying, I'm looking at that haircut. That looks like a freaking storm haircut. Yeah. But at the same time, would anybody be surprised if she showed up? I I wouldn't be because she's one of the main X-Men. Wolverine is one of the main X-Men. So, you know, they're... there's some connection. Especially if they bring back Patrick Stewart. Yeah. Too. I mean, I yeah. I want her in there, and then I want Wade to make a joke about, thank God Famke Jensen is, isn't here because Jean Grey needs to stay dead. <laughs> she kept I, getting brought back over and over again, and it was so annoying to me after I, a while of, just, this doesn't, this is all meaningless. This is all meaningless. Femke, you're great, but please go away. 
I, uh, I I could totally see them doing a joke like that. Uh, anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Listen, with that down, we're now going to spend the rest of our time by going over and taking uh, questions from our YouTube channel members. If you are a YouTube channel member, first of all, thank you so much for being a YouTube channel member. And thank you for sending in questions. Now, before we get to those, we're going to take a quick second and thank a couple of sponsors to today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast. Our friends at Helix and my mobile service provider, owned currently by Ryan Reynolds himself, Mint Mobile. This video is sponsored by Helix Sleep. Their Memorial Day sale is running now, and it's a great time to upgrade your mattress. You can get 25% off your purchase for a limited time. Check out the Helix site for more details. Guys, Helix Sleep offers the best premium mattresses, custom fit to your needs, conveniently shipped right to your door. And in case you're not 100% sure which mattress is best for you, Helix Sleep's quiz matches you to the perfect mattress based on your body type and sleep preferences. Guys, you know Ann and I have had our Helix mattress mattress for almost a year. And even when we go to Las Vegas and stay in these beautiful hotel rooms, we can't wait to get home to get a great night's sleep in our Helix mattress. The mattress comes rolled up in a box and is easy to set up. And there's even a hundred night sleep trial to test the mattress out to ensure that you love it. And good news, Helix is having a great Memorial Day sale that goes from May 15th to June 4th. Visit helixsleep.com campia to get 25% off your Helix mattress, plus two free pillows during their Memorial Memorial Day sale running now for a limited time. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my my old phone plan. For people looking for extra savings this year, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Helix and of course Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, that down. Let's get over to your questions here, shall we? Chris, what do we got up here? Starting with Mark 24 Gaming. Have you seen the new Barbie trailer that dropped today? Heck yes. Yeah, we're going to actually make a video about that probably for the YouTube channel a little bit later, or we'll talk about it on the podcast tomorrow. It's They showed us this trailer they showed us a bunch of stuff for Barbie at CinemaCon, but this trailer was one of them. I, I think it's a terrific trailer. Mm-hmm. Meg gives it a totally different look. All right, what's next? Kyle Fielder, did you see that Citadel is renewed for season two and Joe Russo will be the sole director? Have not. Um, I didn't like Citadel. No, I, I just watched like one and a bit episodes and I don't know anybody that really liked it. So I'm not really planning on jumping back on it, even though I thought it looked great. But uh, yeah, it really wasn't for me. 
All right, what's next? From King Edward, have you checked out American Born Chinese yet? It's very much a story about a teenager struggling to fit in at high school with a struggling home life through the lens of a Chinese immigrant family with Chinese mythology sprinkled throughout it, and I love it. The action is noticeably a TV budget, but it has a charm and humor to it. I Listen, I spent the first three months that they were advertising that movie thinking it was a everything everywhere all at once making of special. I just because so many of the same people were in it. That's yeah. that's the thing. So I I don't know anything about it, but I love Michelle Yeoh. I will probably check it out at some point. I know Anne wants to see it. So at some point we will, but I haven't had a chance to check it. Any of you guys have a chance to check out American Board? No, not yet? yet. Not yet, no. Not yet? All right. What's next? CJ Rebirth. Random voice acting fun fact. In Lion King, during the end of Be Prepared, Jeremy Irons hurt his voice doing Scar, so Jim Cummings took over. Yes! He threw out his voice. Yeah, he was doing the the line where he has the very kind of guttural, you won't get a sniff out of me. You won't get a sniff out of me. And he threw out his voice, and Jim Cummings, who does Winnie the Pooh, Darkwing Duck, all these voices, he's also Ed in the film. He came in and he finished the rest of the song. Um, And I will raise your fun fact. There is not one single... Actual lion roar in The Lion King. Those are not real lions. That is all Frank Welker, voice of Scooby-Doo. But they were real lions in the live remake. In the live I, remake. I, I, I think. <laughs> they were CGI Frank real Welker, lions. Like the guy who does the voice of Megatron mm-hmm. in the Transformers? Yep. He does those the are voice all those. Roars? Yep. Yeah. There's a really interesting specific area of voiceover doing creature work. Um, Frank Welker and Dee Bradley Baker are kind of like the go-to people for that. Dee Bradley Baker obviously does Eagly, and Frank Welker does so much of those same kind of aliens, Transformers, and then Lions and Scooby-Doo. Hmm. All right. Yeah. What's next? Bulletin. I want to believe the Fast X finale... A finale trilogy is a secret triple X sequel where it will be revealed Dom has been Xander Cage this entire time. It would explain a lot. Hey, listen, don't don't laugh. You're right. It would. Because like part of the big disconnect of Fast and Furious is, okay, so a guy who's just a garage grease monkey uh, is now the world's leading espionage super spy. Well, what if on the side he was always a world leading espionage super spy as Xander Oh, shit. Oh, it could work. Mind blown. <laughs> All right, what's next? Ulatan again. I watched Sylvester Stallone's cult classic Cobra recently, and I can't get over how he kept his pizza in the freezer and gun cleaning kit in an egg carton. The 80 sensibilities are something else. The 80 sensibilities, I mean, look, there's just something about 80s films. Even if, like, some brand new AA technology was able to take 80s action films and make them look like they were made today, like they look like Chris clean 4k blah 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 all that kind of stuff you would still know right away it was an 80s film i'm not even talking about cultural references i'm just talking about the way they told those stories it was a genre even in and of itself at that time and sylvester stallone was one of the kings of them all right what's next brendan m hi y'all happy in the way day was thinking about fast x and the franchise as a whole and it occurred to me that i would not be surprised if at the very end it turns out everything was a fantasy dream or some bedtime story dom and or brian are telling their kids yeah i can't see them doing that everyone's in a coma and it's a shared hallucination so it's dallas meets lost yeah uh of an we we've actually been in purgatory this whole time Whoa. to get our way to the true afterlife yeah no i can't see them doing I, that. I feel like the movie's already done weirder things from it's what y'all true. have said 
All right, what's next? From Amin, yesterday PlayStation revealed the first gameplay footage of Spider-Man 2. Have you seen it? And if so, what were your thoughts? The first game was awesome. Can't wait for the new one this fall. I have not Ray seen has. it yet, but Ray has. Ray, what did you think about it? I'm about to use that PS5 in the other room. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the, that, the thing looks great. I mean, you, you're playing um, a symbiote uh, Spider-Man um, and you're playing Miles Morales. It looks like a tag team where you're switching between them. Two. Oh, hell and yeah. Craven's in it, right? Craven was in the beginning. He's he's the main uh, villain. So he goes to New York to because like wherever he's hunting like just Craven sucks. Craven the hunter. So, yeah. So he goes to New York and then like has all these uh, heroes mapped out or people he wants to hunt. And uh, we see Lizard and he looks like a mini Godzilla. The the He's terrifying. He's in the... He's in the water, and you could tell he's coming up on Miles Morales, like chasing him. And man, that that part's gonna scare the shit out. All right, what's next? From Jared Oberfeld, I went and saw The Little Mermaid last night. I was not impressed by the trailers, but I still had a fun time. I have now reminded myself that the trailer is never a full indication of the product's quality. The only part where I had any sort of problem was the Scuttlebutt song. What? I actually really like the Scuttlebutt song. I love the Scuttlebutt song. Uh, I felt like they could have just deleted it and moved on to the next interesting part, which was right after that scene. Overall, an 8 out of 10 in my opinion. You know what? Okay, I just finished saying I really like the Scuttlebutt song. And I did. I, I like the song quite a bit. But you're not wrong. They could have cut it out and just made the movie about two minutes shorter. They could have because it wasn't really important. Like the song, like it's not like there was a piece of the story that couldn't advance until they sang that song. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, for one, I'm glad the song is in there because I enjoyed it. And Anne loved it too. We were singing it a bit as we left the theater. It's so fun. But uh, but you're not wrong in the fact that, it, was it necessary? Uh, no, you know what? I agree. It wasn't necessary. Was it necessary to have Aquafina and David Diggs rap at the same time? Yes, it was. It was absolutely Yes, it was. <laughs> All right. <laughs> from, from Gannon, bitter career up to this point, Christian Bale or Leonardo DiCaprio? Oh, God, that's hard to say. They both got Oscars on their mantles. Mm -hmm. Christian uh, Bale has a bit more of a personal life, if you factor that in. You know, Leonardo DiCaprio gets really Bale. scrutinized. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, they, they're both so good. Two of the top players in the game. I I couldn't say. I, I'd have to really sit down and scrutinize, look over the resumes of both of them, and really scrutinize it. But off the top of my head, I can't. I can't say they're there because those are two of the greats right now. All right, what's next? From Cash. Hi, John and crew. I was wondering if you guys had gotten a chance to see Charlie Day's directorial debut, Fool's Paradise, or the new Blackberry movie with Glenn Howerton. Uh, neither. Actually, I, I've heard. I've had a few people tell me they didn't think I would like. Uh, the new Fool's Paradise. Um, so I, again, I've got so much I'm trying to keep up with that I just don't have time for. And fortunately, no. I mean, look, I, I've got very limited time that I can just sit down and watch stuff. And I tend to try to prioritize stuff that a larger part of my audience is also watching. So that's why I'm trying to stay up to date with Ted Lasso. I'm getting out to watch Little Mermaid. I'm trying to now start watching Silo and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think there's 5% of my audience is watching the Blackberry movie, so I'm probably going to have to use my time to watch other stuff. I didn't know there was a Blackberry movie. Although it's a good Canadian company, so I would like Ooh. to see it, but maybe maybe someday and after I retire, I'll watch and, it. And it's a limited release in theaters. So you got to uh, find a, a theater that's actually <sighs> playing the movie. Now that I hang my hat up, I'll finally watch that Blackberry, Blackberry movie. Yep. 
All right, what's next? From Jesse as a Turtle. Why are higher profile names like James Gunn still in the WGA? Shouldn't they be capable of getting fair wages on their own at this point in their careers? Chris, I'll let you handle that. I have thoughts. What makes a strong union is your strongest, most notable, most iconic members sitting on the picket line with you. Because what makes a union work is that even when the people who can negotiate those bigger salaries for themselves still hang out and picket for the little guy who's getting screwed over, whose Emmy-nominated show that's making a network billions of dollars is on food stamps, you need those other members in there. Part of this, too, is the WGA. I mean, James Gunn wasn't always James Gunn. Yeah, yeah. He was working on trauma films. Yep. And, and while those films are fun, wacky, and great, they are absolute chaos in guerrilla filmmaking. I've had some friends who've had the, the privilege of being in those films. But they're not, you know, great paying things. We all start somewhere. And I love when we have these more notable people, the entire writing staff of Ted Lasso, for example, standing on that picket line, making sure that all writers are being given the same respect, the same rights. The minimum wages, it's very, very important. So to have somebody like James Gunn remain in the guild is very, very important. Now, I I do think, at some point, I think he should leave the WGA because I think there's a little bit of a conflict of interest. Just Sure, because, I can understand that. Because of his unique situation. But remember, James Gunn spent a lot of his career as the beneficiary of the work of the WGA. Right, I was going to say yep. that, yeah. And, and it would be pretty big human piece of shit of them to say, well, now that I'm one of the guys in one of the more, you know, uh, powerful positions, it would be pretty crappy of them to say, thanks for letting me be the beneficiary of all of the WGA, but now I'm going to turn my back on it. So I'm glad he's doing that now. But again, at some point, just because he's in a very unique situation where he is now the CEO of the studio, I think there might be a little bit of a conflict of interest there. He probably should at some point surrender his WGA um, membership or his CEO ship. I mean, I yeah. don't know, but, but at some point, but I think it's good that he's standing with them still now. All right. What's next? Santiago Lugo, John, after watching the little mermaid, what do you believe are its box office possibilities? Could it be the biggest movie of the year? No, 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 no. This isn't going to be like a one point at this point, you'd need to be a $1.3 billion film to be the biggest film of the year. And it's, I don't see it being that, um, it again, it's a good movie. Um, I actually think it's a better movie than Mario Brothers. I like Mario Brothers. I think this was a little bit more. If I had a choice to go see Mario Brothers again tonight or go see Little Mermaid, and these, by the way, neither of them are my favorite movies of the year, but I like them both. I would actually go see Little Mermaid again. But I, I don't see it cracking a billion dollars. Um, I, I see it. It's hard to say. I got to see the opening weekend numbers to see what kind of interest is generated. I could see it being like a $600 million movie. Uh, I hope it's a lot bigger than that, but yeah, we'll see. All right, what's next? From Zane one in honor of Idris Alba's new Apple TV movie, Hijack, what's your favorite movie that takes place on a plane? Airplane. Absolutely airplane. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I yeah. was going to say Snakes on a Plane, but Airplane. Airplane. <laughs> Do you know, I, I actually worked on Snakes on a Plane. Hmm. Uh, I, again, the visual effects company, we were just little visual effects CGI company in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. But we had started getting subcontract work from some of the bigger visual effects studios in California that couldn't handle all the work. So they would win the bids to get a big chunk of visual effects work. And then they would subcontract some of it out and we would take these shots. There is an iconic shot in Snakes on a Plane where a woman goes into the bathroom and a snake bites onto her nipple. That was us. 
Woo! We did that. Uh, but great movies on a plane. Air Force One is fantastic. I love that one. Uh, of course, Snakes on a Plane. But I mean, it's... Pa passenger uh, is 57. 57. Yeah. Always bet on black. <laughs> um, I For me, it's still Airplane. Con Air. Con oh, Air is yeah. another good one. Yeah. Plane. <laughs> but I, I stick with jive. Airplane. I stick with Airplane. Excuse me, I think I can help. I speak jive. Uh, and don't call me Shirley. One of the great, still to this day, one of the greatest comedies ever made. All right, what's next? From Amin, Foundation Season 2. Have you seen the new trailer from last week? And where's your excitement level? I love Foundation Season 1. I, I loved it. I never read uh, Foundation. And so watching Foundation Season 1, it was all completely a clean slate for me. And I adored the mythology around it. I thought it was great. And the way season one ended, it left me salivating to see the new season. I love the trailer for this. Can't wait to see it. I think it looks great. All right, what's next? From Callum. Hey, crew, I recently finished The Wire, and man, what a great show. I see why it's known as one of the greats in TV. Where would you rank this show? Is it in your top five? Thanks for everything you do. Have a nice day. There are many very serious, I don't know what you call a TV equivalent of cinephiles, but like TV files. I don't know. But there are some, there's a lot of hardcore television fans who will say that The Wire is the greatest TV show ever made. I am not one of them, uh, but it is great. I mean, I, I watched The Wire very late in the game. It was only probably about six or seven years ago that I finally sat down and watched The Wire. And I'm like, okay, now I see why it's such a big deal and how influential. And it's funny too. It's like The Godfather. When you go back and watch The Godfather for the first time, one of the first things you'll be struck by is, oh my God, now I recognize how many movies have been influenced by this movie. When you watch The Wire, you will have that same experience. You'll go, oh, that's where Game of Thrones got this. And oh, that's where Better Call Saul got that. And oh, that's where, like, it is such an influential show. I would probably have it in my personal top 15 but not in the top 10 or top five or anything like that. But a lot of people would put it much, 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 much higher. Okay, we got time for a couple more. What's next? Jaden Voss, what would your guy's dream movie to be made? Mine would be a live action movie adaptation of the Danny Phantom cartoon show or a horror slasher movie about the Tooth Fairy who's raised by the devil. Mm. Jaden, are you okay? Neither of those rank very high on my list. Um, it's the same one I've always dreamed of, a Steven Spielberg directed Star Wars movie. That's it. Mm. That that's that's my dream movie to get made. A Steven Spielberg directed Star Wars movie. And and that's about it. Ray is one punch man. Yeah. Or or a good um Halo movie. Ooh. Oh yeah, he's wanted a Halo yeah. movie for a long time. You know. Yeah, the um the uh, Paramount Plus show didn't do it for you. Uh, no, no, no. That's a that's a different Halo, but I still liked it. I liked it too. Yeah, I didn't love it, but I liked it. All right, what's next? I'm in. Foundation season two. Have you seen oh, the new trailer? Oh, we did one. this one. Um, then I think we've got I all. think this all is... Right. Oh. Then, you know what? That's good because we're right up at the one hour mark. Guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campia Show podcast, thank you so much for being here and making this show a little part of your day. Big special thank you to all our channel members who sent in those questions. Number one, because he gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, by being channel members, you support our channel and all of us involved here. So thank you so much for that, guys. Guys, that will do it for us for now. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>